Well, welcome to the hills, especially if you watch us online. We're a church in Tarrant County with three campuses. We have one in North Richmond Hills, one in South Lake, and one in West Fort Worth. So if you're ever in Tarrant County, and that's something you want to do at least once before you die, then you need to come and visit us. Okay, so a cowboy walks into a bar in Wyoming and orders three mugs of beer. And he sits at a table, and he takes a sip of one mug, and then a sip of the other, and then a sip of the other, all the way until they're all gone. And the bartender comes up and says, friend, I could pour you a mug one at a time. That way they wouldn't get flat or uh, get warm. He said, no, see, I have two brothers. We grew up in Texas. One has moved to Arizona. One's moved to Colorado. And we made a commitment that we would do this to remember our days together. And so I'm drinking one mug for me, but I'm drinking one for my brother in Colorado and one for my brother in Arizona. And the bartender thought, well, that was a very neat custom. And so this went on for a long, long time. And then one day the cowboy walked in and he just ordered two mugs of beer. And the whole bar got silent. And after an appropriate wait, the bartender went over to offer his condolences. And the cowboy seemed confused. And then he said, oh, no, it's not what you think. Everybody's fine. It's just, well, my wife and I joined the Baptist church, and now I can't drink. But it hadn't stopped my brothers. (laughs) Okay, silly story, but it has a point. And that is that you can have what you think is the right theology, and it can still live in the wrong heart. Meet Jonah. Now, this guy is orthodox. He knows deep, deep truth about God. And it's right. But he's not. Because he does not want to be swallowed by the will and the mission of God. Jonah's a unique book. We call it one of the minor prophets. But unlike other minor prophets like Hosea or Micah, the book of Jonah is not full of prophecies by Jonah, but it's prophecy about Jonah. We don't have long sermons by Jonah like we do Micah or Hosea because God didn't want any of his sermons saved. Jonah was a prodigal prophet. And we're studying Jonah. Because as I said last time, I am Jonah. And you are Jonah. And deep within many of us, there still remains bigotries and attitudes that need to be thrown overboard. And so God says to his prophet, I want you to go to Nineveh. And preach against it. But Jonah knew God. And he knew that when you tell me to preach against Nineveh. You're telling me because you're really for Nineveh. You're looking for a reason to spare and rescue Nineveh. Israel's enemy. And I don't want to go there. And so Jonah decided, I'll get as far away from the mission of God as I can. He went literally 
to the end of the earth in the other direction. Well, at least that was his intention. He got on a boat to go to a city called Tarshish. And we're going to pick up the story now, chapter 1, verse 4. Then the Lord, remember those three words. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us see who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. He's the God of heaven, and he made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to Yahweh. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared Yahweh. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but the author is depicting a constant state of descent for Jonah. He goes down to Joppa to get on a boat. He gets on the boat and he goes down into the hole of the boat. And then he gets down into the hole and he lays down and he falls asleep. And ultimately, he's thrown down into the water to drown. And I think the story is written that way to help us understand that what is happening to Jonah physically is happening to Jonah spiritually. Jonah didn't start sinking when they threw him overboard. Jonah started sinking as soon as he said no to God's go. Because here's the thing, you cannot stiff arm God and become a better person. Some of you think that there's a part of my life where God is putting his finger and saying, I want to own that too. And you're saying no to that part. But over here on these other parts, you're becoming better and better. And it doesn't work that way. When you say no. To God, your whole life 
begins to go down. And what the story is going to do is contrast what is happening to the character of Jonah compared to the character of the pagan sailors that are on the boat with him. And it all starts with those words, then the Lord. The Lord creates a storm. A storm that was meant to be a wake-up call for Jonah. And there was something about this particular storm that implied a supernatural or divine origin. Now, these sailors have seen storms. And I'm going to give you my speculation. They would not have set out to see if there were storm clouds in the sky. And I don't think they had gone very far before the storm came because they were trying to roll back to land, which evidently they could see. I mean, they take off and they're not out there very long. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm shows up that they can't handle. And immediately they assume somebody's God is ticked off. Now, back then, every nation and every people group had their God. And the understanding was he had jurisdiction over his particular nation or boundary. If you got caught to someone else's country, another God was ruling. But you're out now in the sea. Who's ruling out here? Whose God is angry? And that's why they're shocked that Jonah is sleeping. Not because he's not helping trim sails or row. It's because he's not praying to his God. Because maybe it's his God that's upset. And by the way, isn't it interesting? They don't know his ethnicity. They couldn't tell by his appearance or even by his accent that he was a Jew. Where are you from? Who's your people? Maybe Jonah was more qualified to do mission work than he thought. Maybe that's why God chose Jonah. Because he could have found a voice in Nineveh that other prophets couldn't have found. At any rate, this captain comes to Jonah and says, get up and pray with us. But Jonah doesn't want to pray. And you completely understand why if you're running from God. Take that young man in his college spring break. And he's going to go down with some buddies to the coast for the week. He has already scheduled sin. He already knows the disobedience that he's planning to participate in. Do you think that week he's having a great quiet time? When you know you are in rebellion to God, you don't want to talk to God. But Jonah was willing to talk about God. He says, my God is named Yahweh, the God of Israel. And here's what you need to know about Yahweh. He's the God of heaven. He's the God of the sea. He's the God of dry land. He is God over everything. Now, Jonah has said some theologically 
significant and powerful things about God. Like I said, he's a very orthodox prophet. For one thing, he says, you need to know the God I worship has no boundaries. There's nowhere you can go that he is not sovereign, including the sea. You need to know that this God is creator. He made the dry land. He made the sea. He made everything in it and everything on it. And the reason the sea is acting like it's acting is because it is obeying its master. And you need to know that wherever you go, God is there. You can't run. You can't hide from this God. Because he's always there when you arrive. The theology is huge. But the heart is puny. And the irony is heavy. Because Jonah is doing in disobedience. The very thing he refused to do in obedience. Tell pagans about his God. God said, go to Nineveh and tell those people about me. I'm not preaching about you to pagans. What's he doing on the boat? Never underestimate the counter moves of God. I don't care how well you play chess. God always has a move to counter everything you're trying to do. And they are overwhelmed by Jonah's sermon. It reminds me a little bit of Acts 2 where Peter lets them know that Jesus is the Son of God. And immediately they say, what should we do? When these sailors find out who the real God is, they say, what should we do? Now Peter jumped into that moment and said, you should repent and be baptized. But Jonah punted. This was his moment to say, this is what you should do. You should go to your oars and take me back home. So that I can obey my God. And all will be well with you. But Jonah is so bigoted toward the enemies of Israel. He would rather die if it means they will too. And so in his mind, there's only two options. Well, I can stay on the boat and we'll all drown. Or they can throw me over and I'll drown by myself. So he says, no reason for you to drown. Throw me overboard. He's not being heroic. It is pathetic. It's the final evidence of how ethnic idolatry and bigotry can sink a ministry, sink a legacy, sink a life. And you can't help but notice that sometimes people with bad theologies have better 
hearts. See, I think the author is wanting us to come to grips with some of the convenient lies we want to believe about those people. By the way, one of the lies right off the bat that we have to deal with is this popular lie I hear all the time. Well, I'm not hurting anybody, really. Sin always has collateral damage. Always. The waves of rebellion always crash over the decks of the innocent. And these sailors were innocent. And they were decent men. When Jonah says, just throw me overboard, instead, they try to row back to land. They are breaking their backs to save the life of the man who put their lives in danger. Jonah would rather die than save pagans. But pagans are doing everything they can to save Jonah. Not only that, but they are innately spiritual men. They all seem to have a worldview that makes room for the divine. That's why they pray. That's why they cast lots. The captain does not come below and say to Jonah, why aren't you helping? He says, why aren't you praying? And what's more, they are open to new spiritual truth. They're ready to receive new understandings about this God they don't know. See, the irony is stark. Everybody in the book of Jonah responds to the word of the Lord except the prophet of God. The Assyrians do, the sailors do, the whale does, and the worm does. Everybody obeys the word of God except the man of God. And by the way, notice these sailors bow down to Yahweh after the sea calmed down. Now, typically, we make our vows to God in the middle of the storm, right? Oh, God, if you'll take away this storm, I'll go back to church and I'll even join a small group. But the storm was gone and everything was safe. But they were so overwhelmed with awe of this new God. They began to worship Him. You see what the story's doing? It's asking us to do what Jonah didn't want to do. Jettison your prejudices about the people in your Nineveh. I know this is hard. As I mentioned last time, right now in the part of the world where Nineveh used to be, people live who hate our country and who kill Christians. And I'm not saying we should just let evil reign. In fact, I think it can be evil not to try to stop evil from hurting the innocent. I'm not saying you don't confront sin. Call it what it is and call for repentance. What I am saying is that it is so easy for us to drift into an 
us-them mindset. Where we began to baptize our apathy, our hatred of them. Not realizing the Bible says all of us were enemies of God. It's just us. We are being asked to look at every single person with this question. How does God look at that person? Because even if you are running from God, there are a lot of people in the world who are not. Now, they may not be running to God because they may not know enough to know to run to Him. But there's a lot more good in Nineveh than we want to see. My wife got back late last night. From a two and a half week LST trip in Croatia. She had many awesome exchanges with readers. Looking at the gospel of Luke. Practicing their English. But in many cases learning for the first time who Jesus is. One of her readers. A PhD. An academic trained in the belief of unbelief. Wanted to talk to Jamie more about Jesus than she wanted to practice her English. And in her last session before Jamie left, she said, what's going to be your big takeaway of our time together? And Sandra said, I need to believe. And Sandra is in every country and in every neighborhood. She probably lives right down the street from you. We may be down on the pagan world. But we need to wake up and see what God is doing there. That's why we have a harvest weekend. That's why in a few weeks we're going to take up $2 million to support our missionaries. Many of them are in parts of the world that would be easy to call them if we had a Jonah spirit. One of our missionaries is Brian Harrison, who works in a very dangerous part of North Africa. And he shared recently this story, and I wanted to share it with you. A rebel soldier friend of mine, uh, a freedom fighter fighting for justice in his home area, had just gotten back from being at the front lines for several months. And he came to my house and was so excited to tell me a story. Um, He said, Brian, you've got to hear this. I was out in this village right on the front lines and we just had a a terrible battle and it was a really hard, hard week. And uh, then I was sitting there with with one of my other soldier colleagues and two helicopter gunships came. And helicopter gunships are everyone's worst nightmare. Uh, People in our area are used to dealing with Antonov bombers. They just roll the bombs out the back of the plane. They don't aim and people know how to hide from them, how to to not uh, be hurt. The helicopter gunships are different because they fly low and they can see you and they they aim and target and they have accurate uh, systems. And so he was scared to death. He said, this is it. 
my day has come, I, I'm, I'm going to die. Um, and then he prayed in the name of Jesus. This is a Muslim man. He prayed in the name of Jesus that, that God would take those helicopter gunships and he would turn them and that they would fly away and not, not attack him. And just as he looked up, he could see the, the pilot's face. And then those helicopter gunships turned and flew away. And he told me, I am alive today because I prayed in the name of Jesus. And this is something he had, had never done before that I know of. He's a Muslim. He had heard us pray in the name of Jesus. He had heard us talk about Jesus. And now he knows that the name of Jesus is powerful and that God responds when we appeal in Jesus' name. You see, the story reminds us that a lot of people would pray better if they just knew better. If they knew about a God who wants to swallow the whole world with his heart and his love. We serve a great God. And there are two things about him I want you to take away. Here's the first. God is sovereign over nature and nations. He rules the land. He rules the sea. And every creature on or in both. Big as a whale, small as a worm. That's why it is a bad idea to try to sail against the will of God. Don't underestimate His counter moves. God will use obedience, and if he must, he will use disobedience to reach the world. So again, one more story from the mission field. I asked you to send in your Holy Spirit stories. Well, Chad Allen, our missionary in Uganda at Livingstone International University, sent me this story a week ago. So on the last day of Ramadan a few weeks ago, a friend of mine was at a local church service and an imam from a local mosque walked into the church. The church was gripped with fear as the imam was dressed in his Islamic wear, holding the Quran in one and the Bible in another hand. He walked to the front of the church and renounced Islam and decided to follow Jesus. And when asked why he decided to turn from Islam, the imam said that a month before he had a dream and in his dream he talked to a man in white. And the man told him he was a good man, but that he was leading people to destruction. And after waking up, the man was terribly disturbed. And a few weeks later, he had an additional dream. And in the second dream, the same man in white again told him he was headed in the wrong direction. And the man in white said to follow him to see the truth. And upon following the man in white, he was led into a crowd of people singing and worshiping. And very clearly, he was able to see the face of the man leading the worship. So upon waking up, the imam was very disturbed, so he decided to come to the church. And the man leading the worship at the church was the very man leading the worship in his dream. And after seeing the man leading the worship, the imam gave his life to the Lord. And the cool thing is the man leading the worship is a first-year student at LIU, pursuing a degree in Christian ministry. I spoke with the very student yesterday, and he confirmed this very story. Now, since the time the Iman gave his life to the Lord, his wife and children left him. People have tried to poison him. The local community killed his cow 
his only source of income. A few weeks ago, a member of a local mosque approached the former imam and threatened to kill him. And a few days after making these threats, that man went to the mosque for prayers and started trying to wrangle up local mosque members to go and take action against the imam who had given his life to the Lord. And that man, in the middle of his speech, standing in the mosque, suddenly fell over dead. So when I heard about you teaching on the Holy Spirit, I thought I'd share the story. The Holy Spirit speaking through dreams and protecting his people. Acts is still going on. And let me conclude by saying this is not just another weird story from somebody in the mission field. I feel like Luke who says he investigated all the events. And I didn't share this story until I had spoken with two eyewitnesses about what had happened. Your God is chasing Nineveh. And that is why our God is chasing Jonah. That is why you have had some of those. Then the Lord experiences. God was sending a wake-up call. Asking you to come back to his mission. You thought it was just a storm. And so you were asking God to save you from the storm. God was trying to save you through the storm. You see, God's discipline is His pursuing grace. And God pursues us even with storms. Because He loves us. Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves. We don't enjoy being disciplined. It is painful. But later, after we have learned from it, we have peace because we start living in the right way. God loves you too much to let you go down without a struggle. He will send a storm to get you back on the right course. Not because God is into retribution. God is into redemption. See, God isn't about payback. God is about bring back. And he sends the storms to save us from ourselves. You can leave God, but He's not going to leave you alone. The problem with running from God is that wherever you get, He's already there. So one more story. Another Holy Spirit story from one of our members who shared with me last week that he was sent by a small college to study at one of the large universities in the Metroplex to get a Ph.D., And when he concluded his doctoral work, he would go back and teach at that small college. Well, as he began his doctoral program, opportunities for him to get research positions at very large, more prestigious universities began to become open. And they were appealing. And so he told the small school that sent him he was thinking about not coming back. 
And he accepted a site visit at a larger school. And they asked him when he came, would he teach a class on ethics? So he found over 300 academic podcasts on ethics. He just randomly picked one. And it started like this. Suppose Jenny accepted a job in Cleveland. And then found out she could get a job in New York that she thought she would like better. Seriously? And he knew immediately the Holy Spirit was bringing him back. He canceled the site visit. He called the small school. But it doesn't stop there. Because his neighbor who was aware of all these opportunities, who is not a believer, was informed of his decision. And his neighbor said, I couldn't believe you were going to damage your integrity. That you as a Christian weren't going to keep your word. I'm very impressed that you changed your mind. God chases Jonah because Nineveh lives next door. God isn't into payback. He did that once. He did it to his son. And Jesus went down into the grave Because of his obedience. God doesn't do payback anymore. He does bring back. And you shouldn't let anything. Keep you down. I need you to stand up. If you're on the prayer team. Please take your place upstairs or downstairs. When I finish praying over you, we're going to start immediately singing a song. That will be the opportunity for you to come and respond to what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do right now. Already this weekend, some have come to get baptized. Some have come to repent of rebellion. And some have come just to seek wisdom. What does God want me to do? It's time to come back. And so I'm asking, Father, now in the name of Jesus, that you would give us greater capacity to understand and appreciate your sovereign greatness. The winds and the waves, the whales and the worms know who God is. Help us know. The mountains tremble, the demons run, and hell shakes before the great I am. Help us respond. Help us come back. For Jesus' sake, amen.